You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Who brought their Bibles with them this morning? They can be turned on. You can say yes, and you can turn your Bible on if you need to. Uh, Grab them and turn them to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we are getting ready to launch uh, Longview Campus September 19th. And uh, how many people are excited about joining? Who, who here is going to be joining that campus when it launches? Yeah, all the Longview people, wave your hand. Awesome. We're excited for you to jump in there. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, be praying. If you're part of the Promised Church, be praying over this region. We believe that the Lord has asked us to see a move of God in this region, and that involves seeing cities saved. We cannot see a move of God come if we do not see cities come to know Jesus. And that means we need your participation to begin to intercede for cities. So if you call this house your house, we need you to begin to cultivate a life of prayer and intercede for people in Longview and Kelso to come to know Jesus. Amen. It's been about five weeks since I've preached and I'm feeling a little fiery this morning. I'm feeling it. Just be careful. Turn your neighbor and say, be careful. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. It says this. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Everybody say, outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I only see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Everybody say, it's time to leave the village. Come on, you can say it better than that. Say, it's time to leave the village. I believe that this morning that many of you are going to receive a fresh baptism of the Spirit of God in your life. Let me say it one more time, and you can maybe let that stir something in your heart. Because about eight of you were like, amen. The rest of you don't know what I'm talking about or don't want it. I believe that this morning that many of you are going to receive a fresh baptism of the Spirit of God in your life. I believe that there's going to be many of you who have been dwelling in a place of comfort, and you're going to leave the place of comfort to receive a fresh encounter with Jesus. I believe the Lord is going to do that today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Intercessors, begin to pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here. Father, I thank you that we came here to meet with you. Father, we do not come here to simply have a great gathering, but God, we want an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So God, we yield to you this morning. Come and have your way. God, come and transform my heart. Come and transform this church to make us be more in the image of Christ. So God, we say, yes, Lord, do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know who our intercessors are, I'll just look at the front during worship. All of our intercessors are lining the front of the stage, just prophesying in the name of Jesus for a move of God to come. So if you want to get a touch from the Lord sometime and you're in worship, you don't feel anything, just come and stand next to one of our intercessors up here at the front and you'll feel the presence of God upon them.
The goal of God in redemption is to gather unto himself a people filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the glory of God. And I believe that every single person here has experienced the presence of God. But I would like to propose something to you that there are measures to the presence of God. There are grades or degrees to the glory of God. And we see this when the children of Israel, when they leave Egypt to go into uh, the wilderness to make covenant with the Lord. In fact, from the Lord's mouth, he says, come into the wilderness to go to the mountain to worship me. But don't just worship me for a moment. You're going to worship for an extended period of time. And I'm going to make covenant with you. And we are going to, in a sense, marry each other. And there are varying degrees to the glory. We see that Moses ascends the mountain of God, but yet not everyone else can go up upon the mountain. We see it when the children of Israel, when they go from the wilderness to the promised land, and the Lord instructs them to build a tabernacle so that his presence can stay with them. And the Lord gives them very clear designs on how to build the tabernacle so that he may reside with them because God cares about the how. He doesn't just care about the what, he cares about the how you do it. And in this tabernacle, there are three very clear areas. There are the outer courts, there are the inner courts, and there are the holy of holies. The outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies. And the deeper that you go in, the greater the intensity of the glory of God. Now there is the omnipresence of God that is everywhere. But the omnipresence of God and the felt presence of God are very different. There are varying degrees to the felt presence of God. You can be in worship experiencing a touch from the Lord and the person next to you can be feeling nothing. There are varying degrees to the felt presence of God, but the omnipresence of God is everywhere. It's in the jail cell. It's in the, it's in the cellars. It's in hell. It's, it's in the room when you're sinning and when you're celebrating. It's in the ocean, in the wilderness. You cannot get away from the omnipresence of God. But the manifest or the, the, the felt presence of God, there are varying degrees of it. Those two are yet different than the manifest presence of God. The glory of God. And no one goes into the holy of holies and says to themselves, I don't feel anything. In the holy of holies, they actually, they would have a priest and they would put special garments on him. They would have a bells on the tassels of his robe. They would tie a rope around him in case he went into the glory of God and there was sin in his life or he did something against the Lord and the Lord killed him in an instant and they would drag out his body. Trust me, no one went into the holy of holies and said, I don't feel anything. Probably not even in the outer courts unless they chose not to look up and see the fire of God burning day after day, hour after hour. Unless the fire just didn't do that for them anymore. Because what happens is sometimes as you can see the presence of God and the fire of God burning day after day and you become familiar with it and familiarity breeds contempt. 
And if you're not careful, you can get used to the presence of God. We have people who will come in and they'll be like, I've never experienced a place like this. I've never experienced the presence of God. This is amazing. This is all I desire is just to be in his presence. And then nine months later, you ask them, they're like, yeah, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. We can become familiar with the presence of God. Then Jesus dies on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, he rips that veil in two. And what once required a priest to go into the Holy of Holies, now that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't torn by a man. It was torn from heaven down to earth that created access for you and for me to come before the King of Kings, that he designed us to be a royal priesthood, that we can become, that we can come before him with boldness. That is worth amening. I don't know what more I got to say to make you say amen. He created access for you to come boldly before him. That means all of us screwed up people can come before Jesus with confidence because he made a way. That he no longer dwells in buildings. He dwells in people. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells within us. And the Lord began to show me that too often, as Christians, we stay in the outer courts. Because when you get saved and you come into the kingdom of God, it transforms your life. Nothing has ever felt this way before. Your addictions begin to fall off. You begin to experience joy on the inside. You begin to experience peace that passes understanding. You cannot explain what is happening on the inside. And it is amazing because you were once lost, but now you are found. But the problem exists is that too often we come into the kingdom of God and then we get settled. And we get comfortable because in the outer courts, you can still feel the presence of God. In the outer courts, you're still saved. In the outer courts, you can still see the fire. In the outer courts, you can still talk to God. But you were never designed to stay at a distance. You were designed to come to intimacy. You were designed to come close and to come boldly before the throne of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, And we all, all of us, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Why are we being transformed? Because we are beholding Jesus into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory, each step getting closer and closer to Jesus. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, no matter how long you have been a Christian, no matter how much the Bible you have read, no matter how many scriptures you can quote, times you've been on a stage preaching, people you've led to Jesus, how many times you've consistently tithed week after week, no matter what you've done, there is always more. 
there is always more. If there is ever an invitation for me to receive more of God, my hand raises quicker than anybody else's because I say, God, I want more. And five weeks ago when I preached, which that was on homosexuality, it was a great message. If you didn't hear it, go, go read it. Watch it. Listen. But before I spoke on homosexuality, I, I talked about how I, I had been in this weird season for probably six or nine months, and I couldn't understand what God was speaking to me, and I was really wrestling because I felt as if the Lord was distancing himself from me. I felt as if I couldn't hear his voice like I used to. I, I didn't feel his presence in the same way that I used to. I couldn't come before him and, 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 just, and just be quiet and still and hear him like I used to. Some, I, I was wrestling. Like, God, what? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with what I'm doing? What? What is happening? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Aaron, I'm starving you out of a satisfied state to make you desperate again. I'm starving you out of a satisfied state to make you desperate again. And I've never identified with Elsa more than in that moment. Into the unknown. Because I'm like, God, I don't know where you are leading me. Because I'll be honest with you, I thought that I was in the Holy of Holies. I thought that I was going in the right direction and was there and I was experiencing, and yes, I would mature one day, but I was like, God, I thought I was doing it the way I needed to do it. And he began to show me areas of in my life where I had become comfortable and satisfied and complacent. And I can hear the Lord this morning beckoning us as a church, saying, will you come? Because I will tell you this, I cannot stay there any longer. And the promised church cannot stay there any longer. I don't ever want to become comfortable and familiar and the status quo of just doing things the same way in a rut and a routine and in a religious process. I want the more of God. I want the more of the Lord. In this story, this blind man is there in Bethsaida and his friends come and they bring him to the Lord to beg the Lord to heal him. The man is so satisfied in his misery that he doesn't even ask to be healed. He is so content and comfortable. He's not even the one asking for healing. His friends beg Jesus, please touch this man. And what does Jesus do? Jesus grabs the man by the hand and he leads him outside of the village. Now it's important to understand that for a blind man, your environment is incredibly important. Because you don't, you don't know where things are. So you need to know that it's 10 steps to get to the door. You need to know it's three steps to get to the first step. You need to know where the food is and the water is. You need to know where everything is placed around you. That way you don't run into things. But Jesus takes a blind man outside of his comfortable surroundings. Could Jesus have healed the blind man in the village? Jesus is not restricted by anything. 
right? But a comfortable, familiar, satisfied heart will restrict a move of God on your life. The Lord could not bring healing to a man who didn't want it. And the man was satisfied and comfortable and was just fine staying the way that he was. So Jesus grabs him by the hand and he leads him out of the village. And then Jesus gets a Holy Spirit loogie and spits it onto the man's eyes. Now, God is known for doing miracles in a very weird way sometimes. This one is at the top of the list. Now, for many of us, if we were that blind man and he spit on our eyes, we'd be like, hold up. I didn't sign up for this process. I didn't, I mean, can't you just put your hand on me and make it happen real quick? Why did God spit into his eyes? I would propose to you that God spit into his eyes to test the man's desire to actually be healed and to yield to the process. Because this man was so consumed with comfort. He was consumed with going through the motions and doing it the same way day after day after day. Many Christians get spat in the eye by Jesus today and they say, no, that's not what I signed up for. What does that look like practically? Somebody on the stage saying, everybody raise your hands and you're like, heck no. I'm not going to raise. So God coming to you and saying, I want you to delete your TV for, for a month so you can focus on me. God, that's too extreme. God speaking to you when you're at your grocery store to pay for the person behind you. God, that's, I don't have enough money in my bank account. God's process doesn't always look like the way you want it to look like. I remember when I was 17 or 18 years old and the Lord spoke to me to give away all of my favorite clothes. Now, as a 17 or 18 year old, you don't got money to go buy your new favorite clothes again. But he spoke to me to go give away my favorite clothes. It didn't make any sense to me, but I gave it away. Now I look back and realize the Lord was training me to live a life of radical generosity. And if I couldn't give away my clothes, how could I give away a car? How could I give away tens of thousands of dollars? How could I give away a house? God's process won't always look like the way you think it should look like. He tells the children of Israel to walk around Jericho for seven days. We can't even fast for seven days. This was no veggie tales Jericho walls that was like walk around in a minute. This was probably miles around Jericho. By that first or second day, some of those people are probably thinking, what the heck are we doing? The seventh day, they literally walked a marathon before they shouted and went and killed all of Jericho. The process of God doesn't always compute. We want things now and immediately. Jesus further accentuates this point when he pray, when he touches the man's eyes and he says, what do you see? And the man says, I see men as trees. Could Jesus have healed him the first time? Absolutely. 
Now, preachers and pastors will use this as an illustration to say, well, if Jesus prayed twice, I can pray twice. Have you ever heard that? Well, what do they use when they pray four times? That's not what... Jesus was not praying twice so that he could give us an excuse for praying twice or three or four or ten times. We had to cultivate a lifestyle of intercession and prayer. It's not just twice. I will pray every day. So what is he trying to show us? I believe that Jesus is actually testing the man to say, are you satisfied with merely seeing men as trees? So he touches the man and the man says, yes, I see men as trees. The man could have responded and said, yes, I see just fine. Which is how many of us respond on a daily basis who are staying in the outer courts. Our life is better. Our life has improved. We aren't struggling with the same sin. We come to church almost every week. We actually tithe now. We raise our hands every other song. We'll know the songs. Just the fact that we know the songs is a victory. And then we leave happy. We are doing really good. I don't yell at my wife as much as I used to. I don't do as bad at my job as I used to. I'm in a good mood. But Jesus is asking you, can you see? And too often we say, yes, thank you, Jesus. But this man illustrates for us a heart that is humble and desperate for more. And he says, I only see men as trees. And so Jesus touches the man again and the man can see clearly. I believe that the Lord is looking for a people, his people of his presence who will say, God, come and touch me again. I'm so thankful for what you've done, but God, I know I'm still yet but a distance from you. God, I want to go deeper into intimacy with the Lord. So God, touch me again. I'm not satisfied with staying here. I will never relent until I see his face. I will never relent until I see what it says in the scriptures happening in my city. So I say, God, whatever it takes, I need to come deeper and closer to you. Not just for what you can do, but God, because I want to fall madly in love with you. And I want to see the greater depths of your heart. And I want to see your face. And I want to see your robe. And I want to see your hair. And I want to hear you more clearly. God, touch me again. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It is not stay where you are at and wait for God to come and fix your life and then go to him. It is go near to him and then he comes near to you. The American church culture creates an idea that we are to wait for God to come and meet us and then Once we're fixed, we can come close to him. But he says, no, come. And when you come, I will come to you. My wife and I, this, this, uh, this past week, we went to marriage counseling. And uh, we weren't necessarily going through anything difficult. But I was telling a friend, I was like, nah, we don't, we don't need, we don't need to go. We're fine. We're fine. And he's like, bro, it's when you're doing good. That's when you need help so that you stay good. You don't get bad. Because as Christians, we live in crisis mode. Like when things go terrible, then we start asking for help. We don't ask for help in the good times. 
We should do a, a series sometimes on how to thrive within the blessing because it's in the blessing years. It's in the, the thriving years. It's, it's when things are going good. That's when we get complacent. Our guard becomes down and the devil takes advantage of us. But it's in the good times where we get strong and we get strengthened so that we can outlast when the enemy comes to attack. So I say, yes, let's go have somebody tear open our marriage and investigate the intricacies because too often as Christians, what we do is we can see people who are desperate for the Lord because they're going through a crisis. They're going through a challenging moment, and so they're like, God, I need you. But they don't really need God. They just need what he has to offer. And we've created a a church culture that's like, I will be desperate when I need something to fix my life. I am not speaking to you this morning about creating a lifestyle of when you need something, you go to Jesus. I'm talking about creating a lifestyle that when you fall in love with him, you can't do anything else. He is that good, so I will never stop running after him. In Matthew, there's a story about the new wineskin. Matthew 9, 17, I believe. And it talks about the new wineskin. How you cannot pour new wine into an old wineskin. If you pour new wine into an old wineskin, what will happen is the old wineskin will burst and the new wine will be destroyed. You must pour new wine into a new wineskin. And I've taught this before and I've heard other people teach it. And generally what they talk about is they reference how in order for God to pour out his new wine, you need to take your new wine skin and stretch it and prepare it and get it ready for God to come and pour his new wine. And then you'll be able to receive the new wine of the Lord. But I investigated what actually occurs with the new wine skin. And what they do is they take a new wineskin and they do nothing to it. It's when the new wine gets poured into the new wineskin that the skin gets stretched. It gets prepared to house the wine that is poured into it. What do I mean by that? You cannot prepare yourself enough to receive the more of God. You cannot convince yourself enough, save yourself enough, change yourself enough to be enough ready to receive the glory and the more of Jesus. He's simply looking for a new vessel that says, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been reading a book called The Chastening of the Lord. And it's terrible. I started reading it about five weeks ago. And I feel like the Lord has been chastening me every day. Every time I go into a meeting, every time I talk with somebody, the Lord is just cutting me deep. I'm about 40 pages in in a 200-page book. And I'm like, dear Heavenly Father, I don't think I can last 200 pages. So I'm reading it very slow. And in Hebrews chapter 12, which, which Nick, Pastor Nick just talked about this morning, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the chastening of the Lord. And I want you to turn there in your Bibles. I want to read this very carefully this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. previous verses in this chapter Nick just read God wants to transform you but let's look at what happens 
after this is mentioned of being transformed into a new creation. It says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Let this encourage you. Praise God. My son, do not make light or do not forget the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. The New King James Version says, and he scourges. He scourges everyone that is his son or his daughter. Now this will wreck with your theology of a good, good father. The Lord chastens and scourges his sons and daughters. If you're wondering whether as a mother or a father, as a parent, whether you should discipline your child, follow the example of the Lord. I'm so thankful that my dad spanked the living tar out of me to get hell out of me and heaven into me because I needed it. Let's keep reading. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Endure hardship as discipline for what children are not disciplined by their father if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all if you are not experiencing discipline and chastening in your life what do i mean by that if you are not feeling the scalpel of the lord coming into your heart and challenging you and calling you up and calling out where you're compromising you may not be a child of god Moreover, verse 9, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us so that we can be holy as he is holy. Are you listening? Are you listening? Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Praise God. Very painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Later on there is a process there is time for God to transform you into his image it never happens into your schedule church if we desire to receive more of God by accepting the invitation of more What we are doing is acknowledging a life of chastening. See, I've been asking myself, God, we have been asking for the more for months and years. What is, what are we doing wrong? What is not being done correctly in my life and in this church? Because God, I know we've been asking for this. And he says, you have forgotten that the more of God is partnered with the discipline of God. That if you want the more of me, 
you must be willing to be transformed into the likeness of me. God desires to give us the entire universe, but he knows giving blessing to untrained vessels will destroy them. Try giving a car to a three-year-old. This is what many Christians are asking for. God, I want the car. You're three. Let me train you and mature you. God, I want the more. I want the holy of holies. But you're butt in diapers. You're still eating on the elementary truths of the kingdom of God. But God, I'm asking for it. Why can't I get it? Because you're not humbling yourself for me to come in and chasten you. And to prune you. Why do we go through the pruning? When you prune a bush, why do you do it? So that it can flourish. So that it can produce greater fruit and a greater harvest. The pruning is so that your life can produce a harvest in the kingdom of God. But, but we stay comfortable and ask for the more without submitting to the pruning. Elisha meets a widow and the widow's husband just died and she has debts that she needs to pay. And so Elijah tells her, take the little jar of oil that you have and go around to all of your neighbors and gather up all of their empty jars. When you gather up all of their empty jars, pour out your oil into their jars. And your oil will not stop pouring until all the jars are filled up and you'll take that oil and you'll go sell it and you'll pay off your debts. And so this woman and her sons, they go gather up all the jars they can find from all the neighbors and they bring them in and they start pouring out the oil. And this little jar of oil pours and pours and pours until all the jars are filled. In fact, the oil continues to pour out until there's no more empty jars to fill. The oil of the Lord will be restricted when there are no longer empty vessels for the Lord to fill. And if we present ourselves to the Lord for him to fill us and we're at capacity, we're at three quarters, we're at halfway, we've got an inch inside of us because we know things, because we're experienced, because you've been a Christian for years, because you pray in tongues longer than the person next to you, because you've led somebody to the Lord, because you're accomplished, whatever it may be, because you're twice my age, it doesn't matter. If you don't present an empty vessel for the Lord to fill, the oil will stop pouring. And if a church begins to look at themselves as having arrived, the oil will stop pouring. The entrance into the Holy of Holies is acknowledgement to the pruning. I empty myself. I present an empty vessel for the Lord to fill. Say, God, I don't care what you ask of me. I don't care what you need to remove of me. I don't care what you need to change. I thought I knew everything, but now I'm realizing I don't need to know anything. I just need to know you. So all of your religion, all of the scriptures you've memorized, all the things you can quote, all the songs you can sing, they mean nothing if you present a filled vessel and expect the Lord to fill it. He won't do it. The oil will stop flowing. Abraham and Sarah, they, they are given a promise to have a son that he would be a father of many nations. 
And they get impatient with the process. So Sarah goes to Abraham and says, take my maidservant and have sex with her and she'll produce for you a son. And so she gives Abraham Hagar, her servant girl. And Hagar produces a son. And Abraham and Sarah fulfill the promise of God in their lives. They take their growth their maturity, their pruning into their hands and they stamp a seal of completed upon it. If we're not careful as Christians, we can look at our lives and say, I have arrived. I am just fine. I will not change. I don't need to change. I don't need to do anything differently. I don't need to ask for more. I've already received all I need to receive. And we don't realize that we've stamped a fulfilled and complete status and approval upon ourselves when God says, you are but in diapers. And I, I'm saying this to you, but the Lord has come to me and saying, Aaron, you're asking for the glory of God, but you're still eating milk. And I have steak for you, but you've got to grow and you've got to be pruned and you've got to receive my chastening and my discipline. I get chastened and I go lick my wounds. And he's like, you think you can experience the holy of holies? You lick your wounds when somebody challenges you and says you're doing a bad job. Because we live by the approval of man rather than the approval of God. When we live by the approval of God, we say, I don't care what anybody else says to me. God, just cut me deep. God, I'm vulnerable before you. We're like David where we say, God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked in me. I'm so glad you're awesome. I'm so glad you don't cuss anymore. I'm so glad you don't watch rated R movies and you don't watch pornography. I'm so glad you tithe every week and I'm so glad you come here consistently and raise your hands and do things more than you once did before. But I'm telling you there is more. But the invitation for more comes with an acknowledgement of discipline. And if you're not willing to receive the chastening of God, then don't ask for the more. Because I've been realizing that I've been desperate for the more and I've been ignorant of the discipline and the chastening. So when it comes, I stop. When it gets hard, I quit. When I go through the fire, I'm like, oh, this is too difficult. God, why can't you just bring it right here? I'll just stay in the outer courts. It's way easier in the village. Can you just bring the healing to me? And he's like, no, if you want the glory of God, you must leave the place of comfort and come closer to me so that I can cut you deep. The kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus is not a gospel of comfort. It's a gospel of dying to self, taking up your cross and placing yourself upon it so that your flesh can be crucified with Christ. And this morning I can hear the Lord beckoning us to say, will you stay there? Will you come close to me? Will you respond? Or will you be content and satisfied where it's comfortable? And I'm telling you, some of you are amazing. Some of you are doing awesome. And I'm so proud of you, but you've become blinded to the fact that there is still more. There's more. I'm not just talking about more money. I'm not talking about less marital problems. I'm not talking about your kids loving Jesus more. I'm talking about more of Jesus. The eternal more. The more where you can come before him and be purified and holy and living a life of righteousness where you're dead to sin and compromise. There is more.
And I can hear the Lord saying to us, I am going to starve you out of a satisfied state. However, if you want to remain, you can remain. Because in the outer courts, you can still feel the presence of God. In the outer courts, you're still in his kingdom. In the outer courts, you can see the fire. In the outer courts, you can hear the worship. In the outer courts, you can see the priest going in and out. You can see it all. In fact, you can probably see the miracles. You can, you can, you can sing the songs. But you weren't meant to stay there. We hear the story of Peter in the boat. And Peter gets out of the boat to go walk upon the water. And he says, if you ask of me to come, I will come. He's sitting here saying, God, just ask me. Because if you ask me, I'll come. And it's almost like he's questioning, but he's like, if you just ask me, I'll say yes, but, but beckon me to come. And he says, then come. You don't need to go through a class or be taught. Just come onto the water. Do we ever think about the other 11? What about the other 11 who stayed in the boat? I got to tell you, I think that I would at least watch Peter walk on the water and say, well, if Peter can do it, I can do it. But you know what? None of them did. None of them did. That blows my mind to think that they saw a miracle. All they had to do is walk out of the water, yet none of them tried. You want to know why? Because there was a lot of comfort in that boat. They saw a man sink. They saw a man get disciplined and chastened by the Lord when he fell and he watched the waves more than he watched Jesus. And they thought to themselves, maybe that'll be me. I don't think I want to go through that. I don't want to look foolish in front of my friends. So I stayed safe. Whereas Peter says, I don't care if I drown or if I live. I just want to you. I just want to get to you. this morning the Lord is beckoning us as church to say will you come but will you acknowledge that there must be an acceptance of the chastening of God my son do not forget the Lord's discipline this morning if you feel in your heart that you need to respond to the Lord to say God I want more and I accept I agree to the terms. There is a terms to this sheet. There is an offer letter from the Lord, but there is a contract that is signed that says, God, I will come closer, but I will accept the terms of discipline and chastening and pruning. Thus my life can bear fruit unto the Lord. If you would like to accept those terms from the Lord, you are saved. You are delivered from hell. You are a child of God, and I am so proud of you. But if you are saying to yourself, I know there's more, and I want it, and I agree to the terms, I would just ask you to respond to the Lord. You may stand to your feet. You may come up to the front. You may get on your knees. You may lay down on the ground. You can do whatever you want. There is no formula or method. But if you would like to respond and say, I agree, Lord, I want the more, and I am okay with the process, I want you to respond to Jesus. Don't, don't respond if you're not willing to accept the terms. My son, do not forget or despise the chastening of the Lord. God, we desire more of you. 
God, we desire more. God, I want to go deeper into the glory of God. So, Lord, I say yes to the process, to the spitting in the eyes, to the walking seven times around a wall, to dipping in dirty water. I say yes to the process of canceling things, of saying no to things, of saying yes to things, of getting out of my comfort zone. I say yes to leaving the village and leaving the satisfied state behind because, God, I agree to the terms. God, whatever it looks like, I just want you. If you feel the Lord beckoning you and you are responding to him, I just want you to begin to pray and say, God, I'm ready. God, send your fire. God, I need more. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked in me. God, show me where I need to grow. God, show me what I need to change. God, prune me. I avail myself to you. God, where do I need to grow? Where do I need to die? God, what are you chastening me in? Because God, whatever it looks like, I'm ready. God, bring me deeper. Bring me closer to you. Father, I ask right now that every yielded heart would begin to feel the presence of God come and rest upon them to prepare them for the process ahead. God, come and speak whisper into our ear. Stir our spirit. God, let there be a ferociousness and unrelenting in a heart that says, God, I will not relent until I have you. I will not stop until I see you. I will not quit until I've seen your face, until I've touched you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, God, we need more. God, I don't want to stay comfortable. I don't want to stay in the satisfied state any longer. But God, I recognize my need to grow and to change. God, I yield to you in Jesus' name. I yield to you in Jesus' name. Church, I've been repenting before the Lord. I've been repenting and asking for forgiveness for my complacency and for my fear and for my pride. I encourage you to begin to repent before the Lord. Father, forgive me for the fear. Father, forgive me for the spirit of pride that I've been partnering with where I would not let go, where I stayed comfortable in my misery, where I stayed comfortable in my state of confusion. God, come and bring deliverance to my soul. God, come and strengthen me in Jesus' name. I say yes to the more. I say yes to the more of God. I say yes to the more of God. We respond to you today that we will not stay comfortable any longer, but we say yes to you, God. We let go of the comfort. We let go of the familiar, of religion. We empty ourselves and present 
one sin. Begin to say, God, come and fill with the fresh anointing oil of heaven. Come fill with the fresh wine of heaven. Come on, Michael, turn up Danielle. stand with us would you stand with us and begin to ask the Lord come and baptize me afresh come and baptize me afresh today God I'm so thankful for the touch that you've given me but God I need another touch touch me again touch me again come baptize me in the fresh fire of God today Lord come baptize us Jesus
you to place your head on your mind or place your hands on your mind. Father, we take authority over every religious spirit that places you in a box and has distorted the sovereignty of God has distorted the process of growth, that has distorted the process of surrender, that has taken discipline and counted as a bad father, that has taken correction and chastening and considered it abuse. Father, we go into the depths of our hearts and our minds this morning, those who have been abused by mothers and fathers, by their natural parents who didn't do it the right way, who didn't love them, who didn't bring them in with welcoming arms, who did it out of anger, who did it out of hurt and frustration, those fathers whose past have been haunting them, that every time that there's correction from the Lord, they begin to resist it. God, I pray for healing of hearts, healing of minds. Give us the right perspective to see that you discipline because you love. You chasten and prune because you love. Father, in fact, it is the Father's love that gives us the access to the growth. It is the great love of the Father that says, come as you are. Come with your problems. Come with your issues. And I will welcome you in. God, help us to see you clearly. Every religious spirit, we bind you in Jesus' name. We take authority in Jesus' name. Every lying spirit that twists the goodness of God, that twists the kindness of God, we take authority in Jesus' name. We bind you and we cast you out that we would be a church that welcomes